Hello and welcome to A's Plus, the San Francisco Chronicles podcast on the Oakland A's and Major League Baseball. I'm your host, Chronicle A's beat writer Susan Slusser, and today my co-A's beat writer Matt Kawahara joins me for a look at the Major League Baseball season as a whole, particularly the World Series, and we'll also have plenty of A's talk. Matt, first of all, we have to talk about Game 6 and the Dodgers Championship, starting with, of course, what everyone is already discussing, Kevin Cash's decision to lift Blake Snell when he was cruising along, and then the Rays implosion. So what was your initial impression? Did you did you pre-guess him like so many of us did? Did you not second-guess? Did you, when you took him oh, out, say, oh, oh no, this is not going to go well? Yeah, there's there plenty of, I mean, yeah, you, you, just, you see like how well Snell is pitching. I mean, he was just like, he was virtually unhittable there for, for five innings and what was he at, 73 pitches or something like that? Um, and I mean, I get like the, the explanation that, you know, this is the race formula and kind of following their plan is what got them there. And, and you don't necessarily go away from that when you're, you know, one game away from elimination even, but I, there's got to be some kind of balance there, right? Where you just kind of look at how things are going and how the guy's pitching and that kind of thing is, and all of it, obviously it's really easy to say all of that in hindsight, but yeah, in the moment, I think, uh, we probably weren't the only ones judging by uh, what the reaction was kind of on social media and across the baseball world about that decision. But I don't know. What did you think when you, when you went out there to the mound? Well, I, earlier in the evening, I had basically thought, you know, this guy has potential no hit stuff. So honestly, I was astonished. I, I thought this is not, this is probably, especially he'd handled bets who, you know, the, the last thing you want to do is give a guy like Betts new life, which is essentially exactly what Betts said after the game was like, wow, you know, pretty, pretty happy to see Snell come out of the game right there. He'd yeah. handled him. Mookie Betts pretty easily, plus a bunch of left-handed hitters, you know, that's your facing. Yeah, sure. You're back to facing the top of the lineup again, but a lot of those hitters are left-handers and Snell was just cruising. So there are times to go away from you know, people are talking, it's scripted. And yes, it is scripted. This is not unusual. A lot of teams that are analytics heavy basically have a script for, you know, especially bullpen usage. If you go through the order this many times, if this situation arises, if this guy is up, if runners are on with this many outs, there's a script. But sometimes you have to absolutely have the ability to go away from the script. Uh, and I think most of the longtime baseball people are taking this as an opportunity to rip analytics. That's not what I'm doing at all. There is a place for analytics. There's a place for instinct. There's a place for, you know, you know, knowledge and being able to use that knowledge and use your eyes and understanding mm-hmm. the situation. And sometimes during a game, you know, you hear pitchers say this, you hear catchers say this, you can see from the quality of swings and uncomfortable at bats you know, really better than anything else what's transpiring, better than your analytics. And I think maybe that's what should have come into play. We all saw Blake Snell's reaction. Blake knew it. He was feeling great. <laughs> yeah, he was not happy. He was um, not happy. And like said, it's in field too, right? I mean, it's just kind of like, I think what you mentioned there at the, toward the beginning of just kind of feel of, of what the, um, kind of the, the, I'm not sure what the right word is, aura or whatever kind of hmm. like, um, persona this pitcher is putting off and, and the way that it's being kind of uh, dominating or, or just kind of dictating how the game is going. Mm-hmm. Um, I think people, there were uh, some people I think made this um, 
comparison, but it was similar to what was it, game two of the NLDS, the, the Giants Nationals NLDS in 14. Uh, it was the game that ended up going 18 innings uh, at Washington, but it was where the, the Nationals took out uh, Jordan Zimmerman in, in the, I think it was in the ninth inning, top of the ninth inning, when he had just been cruising. And um, it was obviously that's a little bit later, so there's maybe more to, uh, to ammunition to, to make that decision at that point. But that was a similar thing where I think it was, it was Tim Hudson after the game who said that like once they made that move, it was like they wanted to see anybody else in there. They were like it could have been literally anybody, but as long as Zimmerman was out of that game, they were like happy about it. And I think there was, there had to have been some sort of uh, some sort of similarity there with last night, where the Dodgers, as soon as they saw Snell leaving the game, there was it was just an instant change. No matter what happened, obviously nothing had happened at that point. It was just a different pitcher coming in, but that just that change itself probably fed into what followed. Yeah. I, you could feel a shift, hundred yeah. uh, percent. Also, you know, the um, choice of Nick Anderson—that's baffling. He he'd been struggling. Now, I, maybe if you go to somebody who had also been dominating, okay, I get it. But that that to me was uh, that was curious. So the Justin Turner thing—we also can't overlook. Um, that winds up being a huge post-game story, and a, you know, a shame for the Dodgers and Dodgers fans that this kind of winds up overtaking everything. But at the same time, there are so many questions. So, you know, they get a positive test, and then they learn that there's the second positive test showing that it's not. Uh, you know, I, I think there was a, it was inconclusive, uh, and then they get it in this in the second inning, which is not unprecedented that it, that it happened during the season too. During the season. Mm-hmm. You know, they. I think they then stopped the game. Of course, that did not happen, and he didn't come out of the game immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Which I, I, you know, I don't know enough to say or really even speculate about what happened there. But from what we have heard so far, it does seem like there was some delay in him coming out of the game, and then of course being allowed, asked to isolate, but then going back out and celebrating, uh, and in not entirely wearing a mask consistently went back out there. I, everybody felt horrible for Turner not being out there on the field when they did win it. But at the same time, um, there was a reason. There were all these protocols in, in place all season, and those just went out the window for the celebration. Much as you feel horrible for the guy, I don't think you abandon all your protocols uh, just because the season's over. That I don't know what kind of message that sends. And you really hope that um, nobody who has any conditions that put them at risk was uh, po- possibly uh, affected. It, it's really kind of a mess. And uh, I think they're going to be answering questions for a while here. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was so strange. It's such a strange way to end it, especially the way that it happened where it was like the, the final out and you see the initial celebration, it cuts away to Fox and immediately, it was like seconds after the game ends, right? And it's like they they say that there's breaking news. Justin Turner was removed the positive test, and and then I think just the the uh, even just the optic of him being on the field afterward, uh, kind of sitting for the the picture next to Dave Roberts, who is a cancer survivor. Um, neither of them wearing masks, both smiling. Uh, him sitting next to the trophy, and the explanation that uh, from uh, from Andrew Friedman that it was really important for him to to come out and take a, a picture with the trophy. And obviously, you know what Justin Turner's meant to the Dodgers and kind of how important he is to that, um, just kind of the soul of that team. And, and I think, I mean, he was the guy, or 
early this season after the major outbreaks with the the Marlins and, and the Cardinals, right? He was he was really the guy who kind of laid down this uh, was it kind of a manifesto almost of, of all of the um, the protocols that the Dodgers were going to uh, kind of implement and stress amongst themselves just to make sure that because they knew of how good of a team that they had. Um, that they were not going to derail this for themselves by by risking uh, the you know the chance of a positive test and and yeah I mean it's just there's so many la- uh, kind of layers or levels of of irony and then just the um, I don't know, yeah it's it's hard to it's hard to sort of analyze or kind of say where the where the decisions lay after the game at least to um, reverse that decision on the isolation and to you know to be part of the celebration and everything but like you said I don't I don't think that aspect of it is is going to going to go away anytime soon <laughs> there's going to be a lot of questions about how how MLB handled that and uh, yeah one thing I wasn't clear about was the uh the first the initial test um was it it was uh, inconclusive I've seen both inconclusive and then uh first test came back positive right. I don't I've know if it was if also- there was I think Ken Rosenfeld first said inconclusive and then said positive later. So they needed a second test to make sure that it wasn't a, a false positive. Uh, okay. Yeah. Or I don't know. And honestly, the timeline is blur a little bit blurry as far as, as I can tell in, in terms of what when. But the one thing we, we do seem to know is that the team was notified or at least Major League Baseball knew uh, in the second inning and obviously didn't come out mm-hmm. too much later. So. Yeah. And after the seventh, and then it was, I think it's, it's been reported in a few places that there were, you know, there were, there were attempts by MLB security after the game to, uh, to, to not have him go on the field. Um, but that that was a decision that was both made by him and, and by the Dodgers who wanted him to be part of the celebration. So yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's a kind of a, it started out, I think, as, as being sort of a bittersweet thing for, uh, for him to not be able to, you know, be there for the last down and be part of it and everything. And then, yeah, now it's, you just, you know, it's, it's tough to see because, yeah, uh, baseball had gone for so long without a positive test. I don't even remember when the last positive test was. I think, you know, it had been almost two months, right? Yeah. And, um, and they had, you know, they'd done this playoff bubble and, maybe from a Dodger point of view, I mean, they're thinking like these guys have been in a bubble in, in the hotel around each other for, for weeks. And I don't know, and obviously you don't know the specifics of how an infection occurred in, in the, in the bubble, but maybe they, their initial thinking was that they've been around each other for so much that there's, that yeah, there's but you're been talking a risk about of, families there too. And... Yeah. Well, that's the, yeah, that's the, the, the added layer of it is it's yeah. not just these players who've been around each other in the, in the dugout and such. It's, yeah. you know, and once, some of the, once TV the celebrations and camera people, I mean, it's, I, you know, I just, I don't know. There's a, no, it's not good. It's like, not good. It's, there, there are a lot yeah. of questions and there should be, it's disturbing. It's, it's frankly disturbing. Let's move on to the A's. Okay. Um, Free agency starts today as we're talking uh, Wednesday because it's the day after the World Series. Uh, the A's have 10 free agents. Um, there were a lot of questions in the A's mailbag, and we're going to delve into some of the questions from the A's mailbag. But I think considering a free agency starts today, uh, let, let's talk about that. We've both written quite a bit about the free agents, particularly Marcus Simeon, Liam Hendricks. Um, I know you touched on all of them in your very good series on breaking down all the A's units after the season. Um, of course, the A's 
can offer any of their free agents qualifying offers. The qualifying offer this year was set at $18.9 million, which is hefty. The A's have obviously never paid anybody that much in a season. Uh, Of course, teams often give players qualifying offers in the hopes that they go elsewhere and then the team gets the compensation pick. I don't know. Following a season in which there was no ticket revenue, teams took some pretty big financial hits. How many qualifying offers will be get out there, period, anywhere in baseball? There will be a few, but probably not a lot. Uh, and I don't see the A's giving one for that reason. Because if I'm Marcus Simeon or even Liam Hendricks, maybe, I got to look at that $18.9 million and go, you know what? Following this pandemic season, I'm not sure I'm going to do better. Uh, and I don't know if the A's you know, want to put that much of their payroll uh, in one spot. What are mm-hmm. your thoughts? Yeah, no, I mean, that from a from a risk point of view and also from the, the player point of view, I mean, that makes a lot of sense because you're talking about, I mean, Hendricks, Hendricks, and, Hendricks might be a different type of situation because he's coming off such a good season and uh, even really a, a season plus, almost two seasons. Where I, I guess when you look at, at semi and the the attractive I think additional part of that is that um, his numbers kind of dropped off this year and obviously it was a weird year for everybody and and hitting numbers were off across the board um, but you know that that one year uh, deal if you're talking about almost 19 million dollars it's pretty good for coming back to a place where you're comfortable and that you know well and that you can kind of try to reestablish um, the kind of the the credentials or the, the the type of season that you had two years ago over a full year and then maybe go back and test the market when things are, you know, ideally a little bit healthier. Um, but yeah, Hendricks, I think is, is going to be, I mean, I don't know that it gets much better for him right now than right now. And it, it's kind of a different way of, of saying that, yeah, I think this is the, 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 the ideal time for him to go out and, and test it because just looking at kind of the reliever market there, there aren't a lot of huge names on there i think right. he's probably if not the best reliever available then at least you know top two or three yeah um, i i agree i'm not sure the a's still take the risk still but yeah i much more likely i think with liam and i do think there's some deep pocket teams out there boston philadelphia um the like um you know potentially mm-hmm. even somebody like the dodgers uh mm-hmm. who will throw quite a lot at liam mm-hmm. Hendricks. uh and this is not a position where the a's ever spend money uh, they used to have the <laughs> philosophy, anyone can close, and then they learned fairly quickly after a, a number of disasters that that's not actually true. But they've learned that somebody in the bullpen, even if choice number one doesn't work, uh, usually can handle the job fairly well. So, and that's how, that's how Henry's became a closer. Yep, a that's, how they've had, that's how they wound up with several closers over the years. <laughs> uh, but yeah, and they do have some talent in the bullpen, despite the fact that they are going to take a huge hit in the bullpen right now. You know, there's so many free agents in the bullpen but uh uh yeah, yeah one I thing I, I do want to ask you i mean the um right now i guess if, if hendrix leaves there's no obvious successor i guess around but your idea is that they could uh they could potentially look at aj puck as a, as a closer and i was wondering just kind of why why that makes sense to you yeah, I, you know what? I, uh, I discussed this on the, the last days plus with our good friend David Feldman. And uh, I just, you know, there's an age old kind of conundrum in baseball when a guy has had a long his- injury history, 
is he better off starting when you know you've got the the four days of rest, uh, which is great. That's great for recovery, et cetera. Or in the bullpen where you might be working more days than not, but your innings count for the season is going to be much lower. Uh, Honestly, it's just I love the idea of that big, tall, hard-throwing lefty coming in and just blowing away hitters late in a game. I just think that uh, he could be sensational doing it. I'm not sure how much he he loves the idea. Uh, Starters typically like to stay starters, but, man, you look at some of the Hall of Famers. They started as starters uh, and wound up having some phenomenal careers. And the A's have a need. I, to me, he fits the profile. I would love it. You know, he was having trouble going more than a couple innings and then winds up having surgery again. So yeah, for me, that's, 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 that's your answer right there. That's, that's what I'm sticking with until I'm proven wrong sense. probably pretty quickly. <laughs> I mean, there's the other guy that they have coming back, obviously was dominant this year is Deakman. Yeah. Um, but I don't know if he makes, I was kind of thinking about this. Like, I'm not sure. I know he hasn't closed in the majors. Um, is that a guy that you would, I mean, I, I assume you probably have to consider, but is he a guy who kind of screams out potential closer to you? Or do you kind of like having him as a guy, the way that they used him this year, obviously he pitched mostly in like seventh or eighth, a lot of eighth, some seventh, but having that left-hander, you can kind of pick and choose where, yeah. like which region of the lineup you want him to face. Like if you need to use him, not necessarily in the ninth, then, and you have that option if he's not kind of the you know the dedicated closer. I don't know what you think of it, but when I, you, look you know at what stuff, I love Deepman, and it, you know I I love that they brought him back, even though I know A's fans weren't uh, all that blown away with him. You know when when uh, he came in in the trade, but yeah. he pitches best with men on base, including yeah. if he comes in for a clean inning, he tends to put guys on base, which um, it happened to get him out. Yeah, not <laughs> ideal in a closer. Uh, he'll, he'll walk or two. A, a guy or two. Yeah, it doesn't bother him. Does not bother him typically, uh, but I, I exactly what you're saying. I like him, you know, in a, the ability to bring him in anytime. Now the A's were also happy to bring Liam Hendricks, honestly, in pretty much mm-hmm. anytime. You know, we saw him in the eighth um, repeatedly, uh, particularly last year. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I just uh, nobody's going to talk me off this puck thing now that I'm on it. Sorry. <laughs> Matt Kawahara and I will be back in just a moment with more A's Plus. But first, a reminder, you can find all of our A's coverage at sfchronicle.com. And to subscribe, go to sfchronicle.com slash pod. Of the three, well, four bullpen pieces, actually, that they're... um that they're looking at as free agents. I mean, you have Hendricks, but you also have Soria, and then you have uh, Petit and McFarland, I think are all going to be free agents and minor. If you want to count minor as a bullpen guy, um, he was a little bit of both. Do you see the A's making it a serious play to bring back any one or two or even more of those guys? Yeah. The market is so hard to predict this off season, given all of baseball's financial issues. But uh, if I am the A's, I try everything possible to bring back Petit. He's, you know, he's on the back end of his career. There's no doubt. But man, he is so useful. He's so valuable. The problem is everybody knows that. So he's a guy who's probably not going to lose a lot of value no matter what the market looks like. Uh, He certainly will be in the upper end of whatever the market is, uh, in my mind. 
uh, you know, the guy who I think might be a wild card to come back and maybe as a possible rotation piece is minor because I don't think he's going to have a lot of offers out there. I think the A's kind of identified some things that work for him. He, he looked pretty comfortable with the A's. Uh, and I, I wouldn't rule him out. I, you know, I'm not sure he's like a major target or anything, but it, it wouldn't <clears throat> stun me uh, if he's back. So we talked a little bit about Marcus. Um and probably not necessarily an option for qualifying offer. If I'm if I'm Marcus Simeon, I get it. But the way the A's potentially could bring him back. Uh, and honestly, I do think there's some teams that are just going to discount this this past season and those numbers entirely because the offensive numbers were off, uh, yeah. and it's such a small sample size. But in the event that they could potentially work something out, and I'm not saying it's a you know it's a huge plus plus, but what about giving him something maybe? In, in the realm of the Chris Davis deal. Two more years, 30 plus million, something like that. If I'm Marcus, I got to consider that a lot. If I'm the ace, you know, you don't have any major league ready shortstops right now. Could Chad Pender maybe fill in there some? Yeah. Is he an everyday shortstop? Probably not. You might potentially have a second base slot to fill too that maybe Pender feel, feels a little bit better. You've got some very good young shortstops coming. But they're at least a year, probably more two away. I try to talk to Simeon about coming back on a two-year deal that's, you know, reasonable. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but if I'm the ace, that's that's my pitch to the agent anyway. You know, he'd like to stay in the area. He's from here. He's very loyal. He loves playing for Bob Melvin. He's a great fit, team leader, all of that. Um, if I'm the agent and there's not a lot out there, I push for a one-year deal, uh, you know, somewhere in the same kind of 15-ish million dollar range uh, if I'm the A's I insist on too. Yeah, I mean, I think from the A's point of view, I think that makes a, a really good amount of sense. Um, and I guess you can make the argument too, I mean, Marcus is, well, he, just turned, he just turned 30, I think, in September. Mm-hmm. Um, if, you know, if you come back on a two-year and you have a couple of, of pretty good years, you're still fairly young the next time you hit the market. So you still have a chance to, to maybe get, you know, uh, get a pretty solid multi-year deal as opposed to signing something for, you know, three or four years now. And then the next time you hit it, you're going to be 34, uh, maybe even 35 if you get a longer one. So yeah, I think, I think there are pluses to be seen on both sides, but again, you know, like you're saying, you're always going to run up against that, um, potential for a higher bidder. Um, but they do have that hometown angle that they can play. And you know that, I don't know, they, they spoke so highly of, of Marcus after the season, um, immediately after the season, I and mean, right after the the, five, the last loss um, to the Astros, and then in the, the sort of postseason wrap up. I mean, they were clear about the fact that they want to bring him back, um, and the, you know they were speaking for him a little bit in, in the sense to say that yeah, we we're pretty sure he wants to be back here too, but we don't know how it's going to shake out. Um, yeah. So yeah, I think they can make that. Uh, they can definitely make that case and. It makes a lot of sense, definitely from the A's uh, point of view, because like you said, their the shortstop prospects are pretty young, yeah. so, so they'd they don't have to go out really. They'd really have to go out and get somebody. Uh, and if that if it comes to that, if you either have to trade somebody or if you have to sign somebody, just sign Marcus. That, that's 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 kind of what you have to either give up something or you have to sign somebody. So just sign Marcus. Uh, that's he's such a good fit. It would just be it just makes sense. Otherwise, if they don't do anything like that, I think the window is is certainly closing. Um, I did get a a question about that for the mailbag. 
Uh, and usually I would say, you know, that's, that's a little much. But I think with a team that has 10 free agents, clearly has financial issues. You know, they just cut, uh, made significant cuts on their business sides, a, a smaller cut than expected on the baseball side, which I do have to, to give John Fisher some credit for, despite the really, really um, deep cuts on business side, which is uh, heartrending. Um, it, 10 free agents, I, it's, it's tough to even imagine them bringing back most. I think the window might be closing. What do, what do you, what's kind yeah, of I mean, your, the, uh, your the thought counter, I think the potential counter or the maybe potential saving grace for them is that there uh, is the rotation. If the rotation really blossoms, it's, it's still a pretty young group. Um, it's still a group with a lot of potential. If you, and obviously they all have to stay healthy. I mean, that's, that's key. Um, but, you know, if you look at like a, a kind of core four in that rotation going into next year of Montas, Manaya, Luzardo, um, and uh, Bassett, uh, and then potentially Puck, if you're looking at Puck still as a starter, and if he can finally kind of do that thing where he stays healthy. Um, that's, you know, it's a pretty good group, and it's a group that's mo- that's going to be under control for, um, you know, for at least a couple more years. And you've got so the Mats, and you've got Sean Murphy, and you've got a very yeah, strong outfield group, yeah? Yeah, yeah maybe I'll, maybe I'm a little bit overly negative on that, but I mean, you never know. Like, it's it's there's always the and like you say, it's not like it's, it's not a team where if you can sense your window closing, then you can prevent that by you know you you prevent it by going out and, and buying some big names to um, to kind of plug holes. Uh, but yeah, they still have. I, I don't know. It's it's. I think it's really contingent on um, the rotation sort of fulfilling all that potential. But then yeah, yeah that foundation in the infield where Murphy looked like he's, you know, kind of coming into his own this year and could be good for a little while. And then you have the guys at the corners, Loriano and center. Um, I think there are still aspects of a, of a good team. Like they need to figure out the bullpen a little bit. Yeah. That's, that's um, going to be the biggest key question. And it was their yeah. biggest strength this year. And it's the yeah. biggest question this winter. So that's where some of my trepidation comes in. They're very good at building bullpens, or at least they have been the last couple of years. Uh, but yeah, I, it was, a, it was certainly not. a reasonable question. And, and some years I would yeah. say like, this is preposterous, but not, not <sighs> this year. I think it's, it's worth asking. Um, uh, different uh, I just wanted to mention real quick, and, and this isn't, um, necessarily is, uh, centered, but, uh, what do you think Blake Trinan did for his, uh, for his free agent case? Um, especially in the playoffs. Whether he worked for the Dodgers, uh, I don't know that he's necessarily an option for the A's, but just kind of like, as a guy who's hitting the free agent market in two years ago was probably the best reliever in baseball, and he pitched really well for the Dodgers in the playoffs. Yeah, I can't see him coming back to Oakland, but yeah, he he looked great, you know. And the yeah. the thing to me is we we saw signs of that turbo sinker again. That's might be the best pitch I've ever seen. I mean, it's right right up there with some of the great pitches of all time. That 2018 sinker that that he had was ridiculous and, and we saw it and he looked confident and in command. And yeah, he's, uh, I hope, you know, the unknowns of this market are, are crazy, but I certainly hope that he winds up, you know, in a situation that that's good for him because he was, uh, you know, that, that season two years ago was just magnificent. He's a good fella and, uh, you know, went through a lot in 2019 and it looks like he's really, He's worked out 
quite a lot. Yeah. So I'm, I'm very happy for him and yep, happy for Max Muncy. Happy for all the, you know, all the, those were two going back to the world series. We're hopping around all over the place, but those are two really well-matched, very good, very likable teams in my mind. I know if there are any giants fans that listen to this, they'll probably be screaming bloody murder, but the people that I, that I know from both those organizations are all fantastic. And, uh, you know, the former A's on those teams are all, all terrific guys. Really nice to see them shining on the big, big stage. Um, mm-hmm. The A's future. I mean, here's the big overarching question. And I got a lot of this for the mailbag. Billy Bean. Uh, is, is he gone for sure? Well, no, he's not gone for sure. Is it likely? Oh, I would, I would say, yeah, pre- pretty likely with this sports investment group, Red Ball, particularly if this Fenway sports merger goes in, John Henry tends to be a pretty influential owner. Um, you know, there's some issues when it comes to public ownerships of teams. Somebody pointed out to me to the, that the Braves do have some limited stock offerings uh, in them, which I was not aware of. Um, it's not one of those sort of ceremonial type stocks like like the Packers stock sort of is. Uh, it mm. actually is, a, you know, a legit earner. It's a little bit more of a subsidiary of, a, of a, their overall company, which I don't think is inte- what the red ball thing would potentially entail. But uh, slightly different, but yeah, there is a precedent. So I would say probably more likely than not. What are your thoughts on uh, the fact that A's might be losing the the guy that's really been the face of the franchise here the last twenty some years? Yeah, I mean, for the likelihood, I would, I would certainly uh, defer to you on that. I think it would be a difficult. It's it's. I think you hear both sides in terms of whether it's like time potentially for a change or whether it'll just be weird to to think about the A's without. Uh, without Billy being there, I, the question that um, probably kind of stems out of that, and be curious what you think is if uh, if that does happen, if he does leave, then how much changes from an A's point of view? Um, because I know the idea is that maybe maybe David Forst stays on. Um, obviously, he's been the general manager now for a couple of years, so maybe from that point of view, there isn't as much um, as much turnover as if the entire front office were to change, but if if Billy Bean, who's kind of the the you know the face or has been the face of the franchise for a couple of decades now, if he actually does go, then how much changes from an age point of view? Yeah, I don't. I mean, I'd be stunned if it's not David Forrest that just kind of steps into those shoes. Um, and I wouldn't see any major changes. He's his own man. Um, he is just a, a brilliant as 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 being, you know, and he has his own mind. But you know, the the essential philosophy, the Moneyball philosophy, is doing more with less. Finding value others don't that that would continue, um, and I would I would imagine much of the same. You know, the, they still have the same analytics department, et cetera. I would imagine there would be not massive changes in terms of organizational philosophy, but yeah, still end of an era. No matter how closely David Forrest is tied to Billy Bean, um, he's only a phone call away. You know, they have a great relationship. If it's still still David, and if he's wrestling with something, I would imagine Billy's among the guys that he probably would would check in on, on something. And I, you know, it's not like he'd, he'd be going away completely. I'm sure he would pop up here and there, but uh, still end of an era. Um, our colleague, Ann Killian wrote a, an extremely prescient column uh, about three weeks ago um, after the first round of the, of the playoffs, the, the wild card round talking about the potential changes. Um, and she called the Billy Bean thing before the wall street journals, uh, reporting uh, came out well before it, I think a week before. Um, and she also mentioned the possibility of 
you know, if Sandy Alderson goes to the Mets, as as has been um, discussed pretty thoroughly in the New York media, should the Steve Cohen ownership bid go through, as, as looks more and more likely, would he take Bob Melvin with him? Would he be allowed to take Bob Melvin with him? Uh, they have a good relationship. Of course, there's there are a few managers that are as respected as, as Bob in the game. And it got me thinking it's, you know, that could very much be a scenario like 2002 when Art Howe was still under contract, Bob Melvin's under contract for next year. Uh, and the A's allowed him to go to the Mets. Uh, you know, if, especially if it's David Forst rather than Billy B. Uh, maybe he has his own guy. Certainly we know he thinks very highly of Mark Kotze. He thinks very highly of Ryan Christensen. Uh, I, I'm sure he has a list of guys. Maybe he wants his own man. And maybe if Sandy Alderson just wants to take Bob with him, maybe it's possible. I'm not saying that one's likely. I do think Billy is probably more than likely uh, to be gone, you know, after the season. But Bob, I, I, I'd still, I'd be hard pressed to say that I think that's going to happen. Is it possible? Yeah, maybe, but I, I don't see it. And remember, John Fisher didn't let him interview for the Yankees. I don't. I don't know if that that John Fisher would be on board. I mean, he. I think he knows what he has in Bob Melvin. Yeah, I think that would be a pretty that that, that would be almost a more or a more striking. I think more uh, immediate sort of change, um, just from a um, seeing how the the team is operating. And I know there's obviously always discussion between uh, between the field staff and the front office uh, about. Um, analytics and you know how how to you know lining up a playoff rotation, all that kind of stuff. But just the way that that Bob is, has guided the um, guided the team through you know, the time that he's been here, and everybody, all, all the players, uh, I think really it resonates with him the way that he he's had sort of the steady hand um, through all the all the changes that happened with the roster and all of the not necessarily this year, but in past years, the way that they platooned and everything and the kind of the deft way that he handles that with players, I think, has has really resonated with the guys for um, for a long time. That would be that would be a pretty significant change, I think, and and a pretty sudden one because it's, I, I, you know, like you said, he, he does only have one year left on the contract, and um, and there has been that kind of question raised, but that, that feels like it would be a, a more sudden and maybe a more surprising change if that were to happen. Yeah, I agree, and boy. You know, you talk about a window closing. Uh, that team, you know, those players love Bob Melvin. They love playing for him. His former players love him. Uh, he is such a major asset. Uh, it's unusual to go into a season for a, a manager with that kind of resume with just a, the season left. He does have an option. Following that, options are essentially meaningless when it when it comes to managers. It's uh, essentially just winds up you know, what, what's your buyout? Uh, it's, uh, it's, you know, you want those full guaranteed years. And I, I would think that certainly this time, if John Fisher does not allow him to interview elsewhere, should Bob Melvin get an opportunity, he needs to pronto add some years to that deal. Unlike last time when it dragged out a little bit too long. So we'll have a lot to talk about this offseason, Matt Kawahara. I think uh, you and I will have to be uh, in, in a lot of contact over these next uh, few months. And we will be back letting everyone know on A's Plus uh, what the latest scuttlebutt is. Thanks, as always, for joining me on A's Plus. Thanks again to Matt Kawahara for joining me on A's Plus. 
You can follow Matt on Twitter at Matthew Kawahara. Our producer today was King Kaufman. We'll be back again next week with more A's Plus. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.